I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, the episode of NXT that originally aired on August 28th, 2014, should stick to hugs. Before we destroy it. Oh, I'm sorry. The the new general manager is is who you say? Oh. Um, oh, well, I mean, that's basically one gigantic hug. So, you know. I know. Th- thanks, NXT. We won't be destroying you after all. episode 67 of the next wrestling fan a podcast of fights and feels last episode we had our good friend cam servo on the show and it was great cam is great we also learned that nxt was going to get a new general manager and on this episode that general manager arrives we have feelings yes we do we have so many feelings we're gonna get into all of them plus a bunch of other stuff in bob's breakdown We'll also take a minute to ring the bell for the old general manager, uh, even though he's not actually here. (laughs) And that'll take us into the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. After that, at least one NXT performer will receive the coveted Bo Rinse Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. We will get another Megan Bob fanfic about wrestling history before diving into a brand new edition of Wrestling Term of the Week. And we'll cap all that off with the cheap pop quiz. And uh, because we had a guest on our last episode, there are no cheap pop quiz answers to go over, which means it is time to jump straight into Bob's Breakdown. Our commentary team for this episode is Rich Brennan, Alex Riley, and Jason Albert. So, meh. Yeah, that's not, that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) Eh, look, no one died. It's fine. <laughs> Match number one. The generic metal riffs began. <laughs> the ascension must feed. It is time to drain the blood of the weak or whoever is nearby and wearing lycra. <laughs> Usually the weak. Yeah, typically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Connor and Victor do the thing, and these guys are put away. Farewell, guy in purple and guy in unitard. We hardly knew ye. (laughs) You have no idea how true that last part is. There is a chant for them, though. Okay, it was a let's go jobbers chant, but recognition ain't nothing. It was a dueling chant, Bob. I don't know if you heard. Some people were going, (gasps) let's go jobbers. And then in response, because you know how usually you go, da, 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 clap, 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 clap. Yes. Half the audience was going, let's go jobbers. And other people were going, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Geniuses. The crowd is still into the yah chant and they're, you know, the yah along with the ref as the three count happens. Then the Ascension take the mic. Oh, they're going to get number one contenders, are they? Mm, But will they truly be contenders or just more victims? I'm like, look, the vampire subtext is right there. It's just text now. <laughs> Clearly, they eat people. Yes. This is not even an illusion or anything. Victor almost has a widow's peak. What more proof do we need? It's, it's an open and shut case, like a coffin. It 
<laughs> that was the first case. Like, they tried to hire Jason Jordan Wrestling Detective, and he's like, I, look, I, you don't need me. I'm not even going to make you pay my per diem. They're vampires, buddy. <laughs> Done. Okay, so to finish it off, Connor reminds us that what's going to happen to whoever strikes it lucky to become contenders is total annihilation. That's right. <laughs> and the crowd still pops for it a bit, and there's still a yacht chant, and I'm very happy. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, everything's still fine. Not enough peck shimmies, but whatever, it's fine. No, I know, I was thinking that too. I was like, would it have killed you to just do one for me personally? Right. Miles, I think the main thing that I've learned in my time with the Ascension is that people fundamentally enjoy saying yeah. I mean... <laughs> Look, it's like the idea of chanting boiled down to its simplest form. Miles, yeah. Yeah. In-ring shenanigans! Lady Whistledown's in-ring report. Mmm. When the ball to announce the new general manager was announced, you cannot imagine the rush of gossip that followed. Who could it possibly be? Lord Helmsley? Perhaps His Grace the Duke of Heart? Oh, but perhaps the Earl of Austin? Well, when the evening arrived and the band struck up the tune to invite the new general manager to take his place in the ring, there was an eruption the likes of which we have not seen in the town in some time. That's right. I know. I was I popped so bad for it. <laughs> it was Lord William Regal looking entirely too delicious in his properly fitted suit. Lord Helmsley, take note. The exaltation was a breath of fresh air in a season that has been marked by entirely too little of Lord Regal's presence in the social scene. And to our delight, Lord Regal has some announcements of his own to deliver. He called Mr. Neville to the ring, as he is our current champion, and while his evening attire was not as well fitted, one can perhaps forgive the tailor for being overwrought by the presence of quite so many muscles. True. Who is to be Mr. Neville's opponent in the upcoming takeover? A decision that requires some thought to be sure. And speaking of thoughts, then arrived Mr. Tyson Kidd, a man who is not worth a second thought and barely worth a first one. <laughs> At least when it comes to his worth as a husband. In ring, well, one must admit he has some qualities to recommend him. Apropos of nothing but his own ego, he accepted the opportunity to engage in fisticuffs with Mr. Neville. And then Mr. Breeze, one of the most gorgeous men to grace our social scene, according to himself, although <laughs> not perhaps without some truth, interjected. Mr. Breeze maintained that anyone but Mr. Kidd deserved a title shot, including Lady Natalia. He could not have wounded Mr. Kidd's pride more had he given him the cut direct. And then, the tune of our beloved Mr. Zane, always mm. a cause for delight. He proclaims himself to be the most deserving of a title shot. Well, Mr. Neville has some thoughts of his own about who he'd like to face. And it is Tyson Kidd, and Mr. Breeze, and Mr. Zane. If Lord Regal is willing to permit it, that is. Lord Regal is amenable to this fatal four-way and agrees to make this match, and so all that remains to be seen is whether Mr. Neville will live to regret his boldness. One thing that is certain is that the ton could not be more delighted. 
And later, in a private conversation, Lord Regal spoke about his decision to put on a highly irregular match for this evening's event. Indeed, the main event is to be Misters Neville and Zane against Misters Kid and Breeze. A scandal in the making, I think we can all agree. Indeed. Thank you. How could I not? There was too many too many emotional shenanigans happening, not for, no, Lady, for Lady Whistledown to stay under wraps for this one. Yeah, no, I think it's your first time using Lady Whistledown to cover uh, an in-ring segment rather than a match. And this was like, this was so worth it. Yes, I was like, is this where I'm going to change it up? And we're like, no, well, I have to. I mean, yeah. there's too much. Yeah. So fashion talk. I want to talk about what everybody's wearing because I just thought it was really fun mm-hmm. how specific everybody's character choice are. So we do this in order of appearance. Okay. Regal comes out. He looks put together. He looks properly put together in a way that every other man in a suit who comes out here never does. Do yeah. you think this is just because William Regal gives a shit or do you think it's because it is a character choice? I mean, I don't just your from the hip take about why this is. Why does I Regal just, not look like shit? I mean, because he's Regal. I don't think it would be like possible for him to look like shit. Like he could try, but the universe would rearrange his tie for him into a beautiful <laughs> full Windsor. Like, I just don't <laughs> think it would ever happen. There's probably like a thing where it's like, all right, you're the general manager. Like you're okay. You're expected to know how to wear a suit and have one tailored for you. Like, it's fine. He's been doing non-wrestler characters for a long time at this point. Mm. Be it general managers or like other authority figures or like announcing that kind of thing. He has a lot of practice at it. I think a lot of these wrestlers don't have to wear their suits very often. That's also probably his suit. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. I'm just guessing. I can't explain why he looks good and Triple H doesn't, but Dapper is one of his key character traits as a person, not like as a as a wrestler, like as an individual human being. And then Neville comes out, and Neville <laughs> looks <laughs> a bit uh baggy. Now, as you talked about, you know, is that even his suit? Maybe it is his suit. But I'm also wondering now about the needs of the suit that you have to have if you are a professional wrestler because mm-hmm. that suit may need to be a suit that you can do a suplex in. True. And so maybe it is tactical bagginess, but like he doesn't have a separate suit for suplex versus non-suplex suit wearing occasions. Yeah, well and like does he is that one his suit or is that just a suit they have in the back? You know, like is that yeah, like from well, wardrobe? I have no idea what the costume department for the WWE looks like, but I would love to know. Tyson Kidd shows up and Tyson Kidd is rocking his tights and the Mike Tyson hoodie, which we enjoy. There is no shirt on under the hoodie. It is just hoodie bare chest. Yeah, he's wearing his uh, his Iron Mike Tyson hoodie or whatever it is, which is fun because it it's not actually his shirt, but it does say Tyson on the front in big letters. I think it looks really cute on him, but I also like that there is a slight tough guy aesthetic that he has now. Hoodie with no shirt on underneath is Mm -hmm. a look. Yeah, it is. And it suggests some things. Like, it can be very powerful in the right circumstances. And while, obviously, it is not operating at full potential, it is definitely doing some signaling that, like, oh, he never wears a shirt under the hoodie because this is only to keep his muscles warm enough so he can deck you. Natty keeps trying to get him to wear something under the hoodie on, like, cold days, but he won't listen to her. (laughs) Tyler Breeze comes out, regular outfit, 
which I was really struggling with at first because I was like, why isn't Tyler Breeze wearing something that's out of character or whatever? And then I thought about what the hell would they put him in that says model as clearly as this other than an incredibly well-fitted suit. But Regal's already got that bit. So he has to be that person at all times, which I kind of think is appropriate for Tyler Breeze. If there's characterization going on in these choices, I think the characterization is that Neville is wearing a suit and the other three aren't. Mm. And maybe it's just because we've, you know, like Neville doesn't really have like street clothes that we've seen. I guess we've seen him in like a t-shirt, like a he white t-shirt. He was wearing a polo once and it always looks weird on him to see him. Yeah. He just looks weird in things that aren't wrestling outfits, I'm afraid. <laughs> One thing that WWE and wrestling in general is always keen to impress upon its audience, for obvious reasons, is that when you are champion, that comes with more prestige, it comes with more fame, and it comes with more money. Mm. You know, whether or not that's actually true (laughs) is a matter of individual circumstance, but... That is the projection that wrestling wants, is that it wants you to believe the championship is important, and it wants you to believe that everybody wants it, and one of the most basic reasons for wanting the championship is going to be more prestige, more fame, more money. Hence, I think, Adrian Neville wearing the suit, and his contenders, who have not yet won the championship, wearing kind of closer to their regular outfits. Sami Zayn comes out, and he's wearing a band t-shirt, and it's rancid. rancid. It was very cute. I fucking love that Sami Zayn, if he's ever in street clothes, it is always a band t-shirt. Even though that's not like a super big part of his character, he's not like guy what likes bands. (laughs) It's always like misfits and rancid and stuff like that. I just think what they're doing is identifying NXT's presumed core demographic and being like, here's Sammy. They'll like it if you wear this band shirt. Match two, Sasha versus Bailey, Civil War? (laughs) Sasha versus Bailey, The Dark World? Huh? Huh? I mean, let's see. This is match seven. Oh, God. So I think. <laughs> so I think, yeah, Dark World would be about right. Like, if you're just going on, yeah. like, number of MCU movies. Yeah, okay. I'll take it. The bell goes, and Bailey runs directly at Sasha and slams her to the corner. <clears throat> hey, audience, fuck your ratchet chant. Moving on. Yeah, seriously. Sasha takes control and tries to give Bailey an appendectomy with just her knees, a bold medical approach. <laughs> Sasha applies that eat your own elbows hold and then just comes unglued. It's like the gall of Bailey to see herself as a contender is causing Sasha to invest more of her XP into viciousness, but not into perception roles or whatever. <laughs> so she's not really paying attention because Bailey gets her second wind and then we get that Bailey hug that was promised hugs the fuck out of Sasha and then slams the fuck out of her in the Bailey to Belly suplex. Yeah, which the announcer attempts to call a hugplex. I don't think that's going to mm. stick for some reason. Very interesting match in terms of how it was paced because it was really like Sasha just beating up Bailey for like yeah. five minutes and then the finish, which Bailey won yeah. like out of nowhere, which I think is like... If it's an extension of their previous matches, I think it's an indication of where Bailey is as compared to Sasha right now. Sasha can just jump on her from the start of the bell and just get all the offense in for the entire match. But in the end, you just she's not going to be able to put her away. Mm, okay, I saw it as Sasha is too blinded by her own outrage mm. to make good choices. That's good. 
Thank you. This is my headcanon, so. You say that, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about how the announcers were talking during that match. And that is the story they were kind of telling, was that uh, Sasha was not doing everything she could to win the match. She was, like, doing taunts and being very condescending and, like, that kind of thing. But she wasn't doing what it took to win the match. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I think that's actually a pretty decent interpretation on your part there, Bob. Maybe that's why I had that thought is because I somehow subconsciously the commentary got through to me. Because let me tell you, when it's these three, I ain't listening. Yeah, no, I know. I'm surprised I heard it myself. But commentary, (laughs) sometimes the commentary still does its job. Renee comes in to congratulate Bailey and ask her about how important the championship is. Bailey is the kitten in the hang in there poster, and she is destined for championship gold because she will hang in there. The club remix of The Spake Zarathustra hits. Yep. And Charlotte struts out to glare and do a cursory woo. And you know who's gotten very good on the mic? Uh, that Charlotte Flair. Yeah. When did that I happen? Know I was like, where, when were you practicing? Because we ain't seen it. And Bailey was right. good, too. Like, they both, like, they ruled oh, in yeah. this segment. I think it's harder for Bailey, though, because with the character that gentle, I think it's hard to, like, have it hit as intensely because you're not going to get in, like, the sick burn no, in the I way. Agree. I mean, sometimes you can, but it's hard. And so I think no matter how good Bailey is in this character, you're probably never going to get the level of, oh, my God. And I think that's a credit to her because I think she did come off as like intense without breaking character in the segment. Yeah, I think it shows that Bailey's better at doing the acts right now because I I think that's a much harder character to play. Charlotte delivers a rant about the niceness of Bailey. And while the audience is being their usual somewhat feral selves, Charlotte commands them to shut up when she's talking. I was like, exquisite. Very nice. Bailey lets Charlotte know, you're underestimating me, but I'm coming for you. So good luck. And she sticks out her hand for a shake and Charlotte just walks off to the booze of the crowd. The audience is like, no, no, we're excited to do the woo with you. And we're very excited that you're here. But you also (laughs) cannot refuse a handshake. That's just mean. Yeah, no. All right, match three. Bull, bull, bull. Will this match be more or less competitive than the Mojo Raleigh match? Angelo Dawkins comes out with a real entrance and everything, and he's fucking perfect, and I love him, and he's extremely tall. We see a tiny, you know, screen-in-screen promo from Bull, and mm-hmm. it's it's fine. It was, it was okay. Uh, Mojo Raleigh's going to need a priest after Bull is done with him. Da-da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> bull, bull, bull. Yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> So the match starts and Bull is in control, wrecking shop on Angelo Dawkins. Angelo Dawkins leaps fawn-like over Bull to pull him down for a pin. And Bull just sits on his chest and then stands up, refusing to take the three count like that. He wants to hurt Dawkins. I'm like, Mm. okay. So he clubs Dawkins in the back sometimes and does a sprinkle of kicks, a soupçon of elbows, a gremolata of rib strikes. Wow. You know, the stuff he does. Dawkins tries to crossbody Bull Dempsey. Now, he sort of does. (laughs) But Bull Dempsey, like any mere mortal, is going to struggle to pick up and hold someone that is 7,000 feet long (laughs) and as muscly as Dawkins is. Because the bit is that, you know, Bull Dempsey's going to catch him, do the big move, etc., etc. Bull mostly catches him. He catches three quarters of Dawkins, you know. Maybe seven-eighths, if we're being generous. 
<laughs> it is like watching someone try to pick up a cat that's gone into a dead hang. Except that Dawkins <laughs> obviously is trying to help Dempsey out here, but there is only so much he can do. Right. The point is they get through it. It's all okay. Dempsey does a big thing on Dawkins and the match, yada, yada, yada. Dempsey and Mojo are both very good at the wrestles is the blaring subtext we've been treated to. Sure. Miles, compared yeah. to last week's Mojo match, was this Bull Dempsey match more or less able to convince you that the person is a threat to take seriously? I mean, I guess more. I guess a little <laughs> bit more. Like, Wow. So, like, we talked on the last episode about how the jobber in question that I forget which jobber it was that, uh, that was Raleigh it Steve dispatched. Cutler? I think it was Steve Cutler. You're right about that. Yeah. And Steve Cutler got, you know, a little bit of offense in on Raleigh, which we yeah. were laughing about at the time. And Dawkins really doesn't. He, like, gets, like, a couple of punches in at the very end and then tries to crossbody and then gets caught and bulldozed uh, for the pin. Strictly on that score, I think that it's this is probably a more effective squash match in terms of getting over Bull's toughness. But at the same time, like, is long match? Like, it's a weirdly long, like, there's just, like... Two or three right? or four, like, full minutes of just, like, Bull kind of, like, doing an elbow drop on him and then standing and looking around and then, like, yeah. rubbing his foot on his face and then standing and looking around and then he punches him <laughs> a couple of times and he stands and looks around. So, on the one hand, I think it's more, like, it's more formidable looking than, than the one Raleigh had just because Raleigh looked like he might lose for a second there. Right? Um, I was like, oh, man, hopefully that Steve Cutler gets him. But I'm not going to give it that much credit because I think I still think it made Dempsey look either lazy or just like not as effective as I'd like him to look. In some ways, this Mojo Dempsey match is maybe the one I am most excited to see for the takeover. Wow. I mean, it's not really, but in some way, because I'm like, how the fuck are they going to get through this? Like, is this going to be five minutes? Is this going to, are they going <laughs> to give it 15? They better not give it 15. What the fuck are they going to do if they give it 15? You know, they've set up a bit and I don't think they can pay off this joke, Miles. I really don't <laughs> think they can, but they have pretended like this joke is going somewhere and so I'm like, well, you said there's going to be a punchline. I'm very curious to see what you think a punchline is. <laughs> Backstage, the Legionnaires are laughing about their triumph over Enzo's facial hair and lull at the ridiculousness of a hair versus hair match. Mm. Marcus Louis agrees. It's completely ridiculous, which is why he's going to accept it. Record scratch. <laughs> Sylvester Lafort <laughs> takes off his indoor sunglasses. And then they start talking in French. And Neil assures me that it's basically Marcus assuring Sylvester Lafour, he'll be fine. Like, it's going to be fine. You're going to win. What's the worst that can happen? You're definitely not going to lose your hair. So I'm like, oh, no, he's definitely going to lose his hair. Oh, <laughs> no. I don't want him to lose his hair. His hair is so fun. Main event. Neville has his black fight briefs on. So we know he means business. I love it whenever he comes out in those ones. Bell goes. Team Good Guy is doing pretty good. I mean, it's not good for Breeze, who is being thrown around like a koosh ball. Mm -hmm. Zane treats both Breeze and Kid to atomic drops. All right. I'm directly addressing you, the listener, who may or may not know anything about wrestles. <laughs> okay. I need to explain that it is apparently the legal crotch shot. It is the technicality. Because in wrestles, you cannot hit someone in the junk. But ain't nothing in the rules says their junk can't hit you. 
insert the guy touching his temple meme. You lift them up and then go down on one knee proposal style and they fall crotchward onto your knee, causing them some form of testicular botheration. Generally mild, I think. I've never seen it end a match. Whereas like a proper crotch shot for whatever reason that does, there is a pain scale, much like the doctor's office or the hospital of like what a crotch shot can do to you in wrestling. I don't think it's supposed to be a crotch shot. I think it's supposed to be you dropping their butt over your knee, like their tail. No, nope. no. All right. I'm just telling you. Mm, no, because if it was a crotch shot in narrative, it'd be illegal. <laughs> It's fine if their crotch, like if their crotch runs into you, that's fine, right? I think we might have to look at the wrestling rule book and see what actually oh, constitutes. Oh, God, no, no. Let's, I don't want to ever know. <laughs> Miles, I refuse. I want to live in the world where it is a mild crotch shot. Okay, this is important to me. I just, look, you can at me on Twitter. You can send me a postcard. You can find out my work email. Whatever, and tell me what it really is. I don't care. I have decided what it is, and that is what it is. And what is wrestling if not a fucking series of headcanons anyway? It's a fucking crotch shot. He then lifts his opponent up and drops him or her tailbone first on the wrestler's knee. That is some fucking bullshit. That's on the internet. No, okay, Miles, galaxy brain. (laughs) That, that's a front. This is a crotch laundering scheme. (laughs) wow it's a crotch laundering scheme yeah they're trying to like get all these crotches crotch shotted but like Uh. they have to do it they they can't do it with the man watching over them so this (laughs) is like but they have to have plausible (laughs) cover so they bought a fucking like gym or a laundromat to cover up this crotch shotting okay so uh, look the point is they're not happy it's bad (laughs) So it is all going thumbs up for the goodies. And then it goes awesome because kid is laying on the mat going, oh, my testicles are so bothered or my tailbone is so bothered. According to Miles, maybe (laughs) Zane goes to all fours. Neville stands on Zane's back and does a spinning flippy perfect thing down onto kid. It's got corkscrew in the name. When you hear that, it's always a fun time because they do the flippy. And Miles, they also do the spinny. Yeah, like the flippy e- and the spinny at the same time. It's rules. <sighs> Each is good, but together, chef kiss. Exquisite. Two great tastes that go great together. It's a real Reese's peanut butter cup. Neville's doing well, but not so well that he can overcome Breeze's kick to the jaw. And kids in the ring, though, as the legal eagle. And the ref doesn't even see it when Breeze delivers a second kick to Neville's face. <laughs> so Team Batty kind of has some... <clears throat> Tag team cohesion. Mm. Neville is imperiled and Zane is vibrating like a tuning fork in his corner, desperate to do something. Neville is able to take out the leg of Kid. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, does Kid even have legs now? That looked (laughs) horrible. Yeah, it did. You have shattered his tibia. It's gone now. Neville gets to Zane and delivers him a piping hot tag. Zane destroys his opposition for the government-mandated 20 seconds. Throws Breeze directly into the corner, tagged to Neville, who capitalizes on this Breeze destruction, and gets him near a corner. Then kicks him in the head, and Breeze wilts like an aging souffle. Neville goes to the top corner. Yes, 
Yes? Brees, the bastard, is roughing up Neville, who is crouched on the top corner. And then from out of shot, the big boot of Sami Zayn. But oh no, he hits Neville by accident. Yeah. Neville is thoroughly beamed. Zayn is tossed from the ring by Kid before he can recover. Tyson Kid, who is now legal, pins the champion. Zayn is displeased. And Haluva kicks Breeze after the bell for moving out of the way of the kick that had originally been intended for him. The heels flee. Neville is lying in the ring like a pretty photogenic roadkill. <laughs> Sammy walks to the corner. The corner where the championship belt is. He sees the gleam of gold and picks it up, feeling its weight in his hands. The world is changed. I feel it in the water. I smell it in the air. It began with the forging of the great belts, but the NXT championship belt forged in the heart of Mount Doom. One belt to rule them all. And the hearts of men are easily corrupted. And the belt of power has a will of its own. It betrayed Bo Dallas to his misfortune. Darkness crept back into the forests of the world. Rumor grew of a shadow on the main roster, whispers of a nameless fear. And the belt of power perceived its time had come. But then something happened that the belt did not intend. <laughs> it was picked up by the most unlikely creature imaginable. A hobbit. Adrian Neville of the Shire. <laughs> For the time will soon come when hobbits will shape the fortunes of all. And will that fortune see the belt fall into the hands of this gold-hungry golem in the form of Sami Zayn? Mm. Well, we'll have to wait and see if the Eagles can get us to NXT TakeOver so we can find out. <laughs> oh, I knew it was coming, but it was still everything I hoped it would be. <laughs> Thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode overall? Highs and lows. The highs, yeah. extremely high. Indeed. I was texting you in all caps, which I often do, but extra you do, this yes. time. Right. Yeah, that's how I text a lot of times. There time. more caps because than I am usual. generally a shouting dog. Like, that is typically <laughs> my go-to emotion. It's just like, ah, there's a smell! And that's how I approach the world, it turns out. But yeah, this time I was there was extra barks because, oh my god. William Regal, and then also this shenanigans with uh, Sami Zayn, and then also confusion about what the fuck's happening with Mojo Raleigh and Bull Dempsey that's somehow supposed to be worth the payoff. And then Bailey and Sasha continue to try and make this thing work. And then also Charlotte doing a dismissive woo that was sort of like, this is a pity woo. I hope you know that. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, there was lots. We got more to talk about, though. We're going to get to the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. But first, Bob, got to take a quick minute to ring the bell. Okay. Uh, first of all, we are ringing the bell for uh, Brandon Groom. Okay. Whose name we never learn, but uh, who played the role of Ascension Snack in this episode. <laughs> uh, 
I only know his name because I looked it up on Cage Match, and that's what Cage Match said his name was. And he never appears in NXT before or after this. So thank you okay. for your delicious and nutritious service, Brandon. Yay! Second of all, as I mentioned, he's not actually here, but by this point, I- I'm pretty sure he's never going to be here again. So let's just go ahead and ring the bell for former NXT general manager JBL. Fuck um, yeah. This dude's previous career as a wrestler is way more interesting than his like future career after this, which he spends pretty much entirely as an announcer before retiring in 2017. He's also served as a college football broadcaster and a Fox News talking head because wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I believe he only like indirectly intersects with NXT one more time years from now when he will be accused of bullying fellow announcer Mauro Ronaldo so much that <gasps> Ronaldo ended up taking a leave of absence and eventually leaving the company. Uh, for the record, Ronaldo has stated that his departure from WWE had nothing to do with JBL, so that's his official statement on the matter. But mm-hmm. other individuals have gone on the record about JBL's history of bullying, uh, pranking, you know, as older wrestlers call oh, it, over the course of his career. You. So for that and all kinds of other reasons, fuck off forever, JBL. Into the trash. <laughs> all right. That's all that business. Let's get into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Megan, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? More appropriate than ever, the question this time. How goddamned hot William Regal is. How unfucking believably and unrelentingly hot he is with that shaggy, grabbable hair and his like his fucking gentle delivery that has this iron will behind it and his stupid, perfect, semi-reformed villain vibes. <gasps> he is the most fuckable character of the show. Yeah. Oh, gee, uh, I swear to God, he comes on the screen and I don't see anything else not even when Sami Zayn is there he's like a fucking eclipse <laughs> i can barely see the dim outline of Sami Zayn behind the extraordinary presence that is William Regal the day he says like a war games or something like that i'm going to expire <laughs> all right miles what did your elf eyes see Funnily enough, Sami Zayn. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. I just wanted to shout out all of his character work and acting during the main event, especially at the end. Just so much going on that already feeds into his character that's going to feed into his character later. I don't mind saying right now that this is kind of like we're at the start of the big Sami Zayn story. Um We are basically officially there at this point, and I'm very excited Everything in this match from taking so long to check on Neville and trying to make sure Neville is okay and like mm-hmm. the just the look in his eyes when he fucking Haluva kicks kid just because he's so upset and then yes. like and then his work when he sees the championship. I can't even with it. So good. <laughs> Bob, what did your Vulcaneers hear? The longest yaw. The longest yeah. Annihilation. And I like, oh my God. I got to enjoy it while I have it. Many, many moons ago, I think, I think it was Chris Newton was on the show. It was Chris Newton, yeah. Yes, who predicted, and eh, I don't think you're going to get more out of the Ascension. And I want to sort of address that and say, I don't know that I ever did get much more out of the Ascension. 
but I fucking loved what I got. It is like having, and I've talked about this recently in the fan faction, it is a fucking egg roll from Jack in the Box. (laughs) It is nothing, but it's, you're happy every goddamn time. It's garbage, but it's great. And I am so happy and I am pleased that we have them. And I am very afraid that whatever lies ahead for them, because I mean, they're not going to be the champions forever, whether it's this takeover or a different thing, their fortunes will fall at some point. Mm -hmm. And I don't think NXT or WWE will be kind to them when it does. And I am very sad about that. But I am basically grabbing Ascension content and rubbing it directly into my face while I have it. It's the little things with them. And like, I didn't, I didn't really know that going into doing this podcast with you, but you know, their title reign hasn't been like super impressive, really. It's like, oh, we've been champions for a year and beaten everyone. Just like you beat jobbers and you beat like, you know, Camacho and Hunico a bunch of times. Like, that's basically all you've done. So like, Mm -hmm. it's not that impressive, but the delightful little quirks that they invariably bring to everything they do, I think is an underappreciated part of why the Ascension were popular in the first place and why people started doing the Yacht Chance, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I don't think it was ever built to last. Like, it's not a formula for sustainable success in wrestling. But, man, it's good. And it's a different kind of good than a lot of what you're going to see on a wrestling show. It is a fast food egg roll. It is not a proper egg roll. Correct. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? I bet it wasn't commentary because the commentary was garbage. I I tuned out the commentary. I wasn't even paying attention. Uh, I was paying more attention to the promo segment between Charlotte and Bailey, which, first of all, thank you so much for actually doing a women's feud, like a women's division feud. Like the matches in the women's division have been great, but like the storylines really haven't Mm. been much of anything so far. And Uh, this is kind of the first hint that we've gotten of it. But I have to shout out the specific line from Charlotte when she's telling Bailey that she's too nice. <laughs> and she tells her that she says, if I saw a cat or a kitten in a tree, I would <laughs> knock it out of the tree because life is rough. Like, I you- didn't bring attention to it because I was like, I'm sad for you that that was the best you could come up with. Although like, she delivered it like it was fucking gold, which I was she did. into. But I'm just like imagining her like walking down the street, just like looking for right? cats to knock out of trees. Because damn it, these cats need to learn their lesson. I know it implied that these cats have had it too good for too long, <laughs> and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Especially because like, like cats and trees are supposed to be the ones that you like protect and save. It just made no sense, and I was very confused by this, like, no, you know what, fuck cats and trees. Okay, that's a hill to die on, I guess. (laughs) Megan Bob, what did your human heart feel? No, Sammy. Sammy, stop. Sammy, Sammy, put it down. Put it down, (laughs) Sammy. As it was happening, I was talking to Sammy at the television like Sammy was a dog, and I was like, What's that you have? No, you put it back. Put it down. Uh, Yes, of course I want Sammy to have it, but not like this. (laughs) I wanted it to be like pure and wholesome and perfect. But I know that he's got a much deeper and more interesting character than that. And that he's doing themes about like, (laughs) I don't know, the fallibility of man in the face of temptation. And maybe he's telling the world's oldest story. No, I guess that's like a man laid low by a woman, which is bullshit anyway. But like... 
the struggle of man against temptation when presented to him and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, it's a great story, but I want Sammy Zane to be perfect and wholesome. Although I know the <laughs> fanfic for him, like having recriminations is probably better than the fanfic you would get if he's just like a pure cinnamon roll forever. So eh. the next like year of this podcast is going to be so much fun. <laughs> As I intermittently scream. Yes. Okay, fair enough. All right. What did your human heart feel? I like that uh, I went with Sammy for Elf Eyes and you went with Regal and then you went with Sammy for Human Heart and I am going with William Regal. Um, Oh, yeah. I got a lot of feelings about him, especially right now as we record this. He's recently been fired and from from WWE after a bunch of years and after being just such an important part of NXT. It was the thing that really made me realize, like made me really accept that NXT as we know it is over. Um, yeah it is it drew me to produce the work that i wrote for fanbite recently uh about the legacy of nxt and um i just have a lot of feelings about seeing him here like it's just like as he's leaving the world of nxt here in the present he's just entering it in his general manager capacity as Mm. we do our coverage and like the fact that he was the general manager like spoiler alert he's the general manager of nxt for seven years is it not the case that his release, that's it. That's how it ends. It's not yeah. a, it's not somebody else takes over. It's he's released. And that's why, like, he's been that guy this whole time until like, what, two weeks ago or something. He says in his promo on the episode we're covering that, like, he's been with NXT from the beginning. And it's true. He was commentary on the very first match of this version of NXT and it's just, it's not it's just not NXT without him. It just isn't. Yeah. And so like I just have a ton of feelings. I'm so glad he's here. Who the fuck else could get the crowd to pop like that for music where the tune is da 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 like come on man. Like it's William Regal. It's William Regal. I know. I screamed, Daddy! Daddy's here! Daddy's here! The show continues to just, like, be so important to me in so many different ways, given my current relationship with pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. 100%. And it's nice to see wrestling in a time of growth and kind of coming into something good, because right now it's very Mm -hmm. unclear what the hell really any of it is doing in any company. It's very confusing out there. All right. Well, those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Megan Bob, it is now time for the two of us to award one, usually two, but occasionally, as it turns out, one wrestler with the Lawrence Bolivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. So, Megan Bob, who are you awarding on this episode? I cannot imagine that we are giving it to different people. My Boris Olivier Award is going to Sami Zayn. That yep, was. Mine too. <laughs> how could we not? The shades of nuance, the internal conflict as he went back and forth with himself about the correct course of action, his hesitation and his quiet triumph, but also grief that perhaps, is he this person? <gasps> Gasp. That's a very good reason to give him this award, Megan Bob. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm giving him this award is because of something you didn't mention in your breakdown. Oh, yeah? Now, he deserves it for all the other reasons, too. But specifically, 
What happened at the end of that match is that Breeze has Neville in the corner. By the way, I love that spot because Neville's going up for the red arrow and then Breeze counters it successfully without any help, which is a nice like thing that feeds into their championship match. Because like if Tyson Kidd hadn't interfered, maybe he would have countered the red arrow. Mm. Um, he counters the red arrow, brings Neville down. Sammy comes running in with a head of steam with a haluba kick. Breeze ducks. Sammy hits Neville. And Sammy is distraught standing over Neville, right? Meanwhile, Tyson Kidd tags himself in <laughs> and is like, no, I got this. And he and Bree start arguing a little bit. Sammy still has his back turned. He's still checking on Neville, still talking to the ref. <laughs> Tyson throws Breeze into Sammy. And Sammy, as though like it was an accident, as though it's just a thing that you do when someone gets thrown into <laughs> you. Sammy like spins Breeze around and hits him with a blue thunder bomb. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I completely missed this both times that that was how it ended because I think I was so caught up in like, oh my god, is Neville okay? What's what is Sammy doing? Yeah, and then Kid is the one that he hits with the Huluva kick. So but it's like like you want to talk about commitment to the bit. He's obeying the laws of wrestling motion. <laughs> <laughs> a wrestler who is thrown at you will have a move delivered unto them yay oh god yeah that's sammy zane fellow he's real good this might be sammy's first time being awarded with the Bowerins olivia award well we haven't gotten to see enough of him lately yeah true he's kind of been uh spinning his wheels with adam rose but now we're getting into some meaty shit so congratulations sammy i have a sneaking suspicion this will not be your last time so honored with that it's time to get into Wrestling Term of the Week, but first, we need to hear Bob's fanfic explaining last episode's Wrestling Term of the Week, which is actually the Wrestling History of the Week from two episodes ago. Another women's wrestling history segment. Bob, how did you pull this one out? Because it was about Joshi. Well, okay, so the truth is, I love Joshi. However, I know so fucking little about anime, and so I put out the call to Kit and Claire, and Claire responded in the form of a fanfic, basically. <laughs> Originally, Claire offered suggestions and advice, and I tried my best, and my best, Miles, was next to Claire's output, shameful. Shameful. Claire has put okay. together a masterful fanfic about Kill La Kill, which you know a little bit about. I do. I uh, <laughs> I am, uh, as people Generally, no, not an anime fan, despite the fact that anime and wrestling are the same thing, as we've established. But because of the Smash Fiction podcast, I did see uh, some episodes of Kill a Kill. Did not change my view toward anime in general, but uh, <laughs> I certainly am interested to see what Claire came up with. Uh, just so everyone knows, what Claire came up with is a little bit longer than we usually have in the segment, but I promise you it is worth it. It is so worth it. Ryuko Matoi lifted her opponent above her head with ease. Ryuko was strong to begin with, even before the glowing red life fibers that ran through her ring gear had endowed her with incredible strength. She still didn't know quite exactly what this strange black and red ring gear was, but suspected that her father had made it for her before he had... No. No time to think about her father right now. She had a match to win. Ryuko slammed her foe down on the mat and finished her off with her signature move, a head-scissors chokehold that she called the Scissor Blade. After the bell was rung, Ryuko leapt to her feet, took the mic, and addressed the crowd. 
I came to the Hanoji Academy of Wrestling because I wanted to know more about who killed my father. But so far, all I've been given are more questions and more squash matches. So I'm calling you out, Satsuki Kiryuin. I know you know something. Come and face me. Satsuki stood at the top of the ramp in a white mini-dress. With her head tilted up, she looked down her nose at Ryuko. Matoi, you will return to the locker room at once. This display disgraces you, and disgraces our glorious parent company, the Kiryuan Family Wrestling Federation. Oh, your glorious family, scoffed Ryuko. Give me a break. Satsuki approached the ring. You will hold your tongue. My mother is not only your employer, she is the greatest wrestler in all of Japan. Ragyo Kiryuin is a fashion designer, and her wrestling partner, Nui Harime, is a glorified Barbie doll. Those two are more pop idols than they are proper wrestlers. They certainly don't deserve to hold the red belt. And once I get out of developmental, I'm gonna kick both their asses, just like I'm gonna kick yours. Satsuki entered the ring, saying, Why would the daughter of Ragyo Kiryuin grant a match to a brute like you, Matoi? In a flash, Ryuko sucker punched Satsuki in the face. Cause you won't have a choice! Satsuki staggered back and looked up to meet Ryuko's gaze. Satsuki's face was placid, unreadable as always. If it weren't for the blood coming out of her nose, you would never know that she had just been punched in the face. Very well, Matoi, said Satsuki. Two out of three falls. If you win, I will tell you what I know. If you lose, you will leave the Hanoji Academy of Wrestling and the Kiryuan Family Wrestling Federation forever. Deal, said Ryuko, sending a spinning roundhouse kick at Satsuki's head. Satsuki's hand caught the blow and held Ryuko's foot firmly in place. Not bad, said Satsuki. How did you stop my blow, said Ryuko? My ring gear is infused with life fibers. Satsuki twisted Ryuko's ankle, pushing her down to the mat. Towering above her, Satsuki began to work Ryuko's ankle. So is mine, said Satsuki, tearing off her white mini dress and revealing her wrestling gear beneath. It was a classy, elegant, white and blue outfit, but as Satsuki exerted herself, the cloth pulsed with red lines of energy, the telltale sign of life fibers. Give it up, Matoi, said Satsuki. Your continued disobedience. But then, Satsuki was swept off her feet. Ryuko had managed to trip her with her free leg, knocking Satsuki to the mat. Before she knew what was happening, Satsuki found herself in a roll-up, and the bell was ringing. Satsuki almost smiled. A roll-up, Matoi? I thought you preferred the submission finish. What does it matter, said Ryuko, as long as you lose and I get my answers. The two women stood. Well, said Satsuki, you still need to beat me again for that to happen. Ryuko and Satsuki began to exchange blows. Both were phenomenally strong, so each impact hurt like hell. As the minutes wore on, both women began to tire, though they tried not to show it. In the end, they found themselves down on the mat, trading submissions back and forth, both refusing to tap. When there was just a single minute left on the clock, Ryuko finally maneuvered Satsuki into her finishing submission, the scissor blade. Satsuki struggled against the hold, trying in vain to escape as her neck was being crushed between Ryuko's thighs. Before, no one had lasted even 10 seconds in this hold, but as time wore on, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, Satsuki still refused to tap. Finally, she stopped struggling. Ryuko thought this meant that Satsuki was about to tap, or perhaps she had passed out, but no. Satsuki Kiryuan, her face red and eyes watering, was watching the clock. Not struggling, not moving, and presumably not breathing, as 40 more seconds ticked by. Satsuki patiently waited for the clock to reach zero. When the bell rang, Ryuko released the hold, and both women staggered to their feet. Matoi, said Satsuki, and then began to cough. <clears throat> Matoi, I must admit, that was some impressive wrestling. Oh, yes it was, said Ryuko. I beat you, and now you need to answer my questions. 
You only scored one fall, said Satsuki. It was a two out of three falls match. And you scored none, said Ryuko. That means I win. It's not how it works, said Satsuki. But still, you have impressed me. Meet me in the locker room after dark, and I will give you the answers you seek. That night, Ryuko wandered into the women's locker room and found Satsuki sitting on the countertop, in a long white dress and high heels, not a hair out of place. Ryuko, on the other hand, hadn't changed, or even showered. I only know a bit about your father, admitted Satsuki. I know he was a life fiber researcher, and he worked with my mother. Matoy, what do you know of life fibers? They're like red strings that you can put in clothing to give people superpowers? Yes, but what are they? Uh, magic? It is a carefully guarded secret by the Kiryuan family, but in truth, life fibers are an alien organism. Small amounts in clothing do indeed grant their wearers tremendous abilities, but prolonged exposure can corrupt the mind. Wear too much for too long, and you will become the life fiber's puppet. Okay, but what is this? What do you know of the red belt? Oh, this I know. It's the belt that belongs to the best woman wrestler in Japan, currently held by your mother Ragyo. Yes, she said, but it didn't originate in Japan. Do you know where the belt came from? Um, America? guessed Ryuko. No said Satsuki, much further. As in, space? Wait, no, that's impossible. Yes, the original source of all life fibers, which fell to Earth in a meteor. Didn't you ever wonder why we call it the Red Belt? So then it's pure life fibers? But your mother's been wearing that belt for decades. She's not my mother anymore. Whatever she has become, she needs to be destroyed. And that is why I formed the Hanoji Academy of Wrestling, not to develop new talent for her promotion, but to assemble a new generation of wrestlers that will be powerful enough to overthrow her. And for the first time in a long time, I finally think I've found someone who is worthy. Matoy, will you join me in my quest to defeat my mother and win the Red Belt so that I can destroy it? Will you join my stable? Satsuki, after all we've been through, if you think I'd ever join your stable, then you don't know me at all. Satsuki lowered her gaze. But if you wanted to feature mother in Nui Harime, you'll need a tag partner. A partner. So, equals? Given that I won our match, you didn't win our match. But the point stands. Yes, a partnership with the goal of defeating my mother, learning the truth about your father, and ushering in a new era of women's wrestling. One based not in fashion, but in wrestling itself. Hell yeah! So what do we call ourselves? The dirty pair? The crush gals? Wait, I've got it. The Scissor Sisters. Satsuki's eyes went wide. Under no circumstances. All right, well, that was amazing. Thank you so much to Claire Mulcairn for coming up with that fanfic for us. Claire, you rescued me. I was hanging off the edge of a fucking cliff by my fingernails, and you came along... (laughs) Like a fucking anime heroine and scooped me up into your big, strong arms and carried me away on a cloud of wonder. Thank you. It is now time for another segment of Wrestling Term of the Week. And the Wrestling Term of the Week for this episode is House Show. So this is a behind-the-scenes term instead of an actual wrestling narrative term, but I wanted to talk about it just a little bit because as our show has gone on, I feel like we're talking somewhat more about how wrestling actually works, not just what happens in front of the camera, and sometimes the one can inform the other, obviously. For example, the next episode of NXT will introduce a new character. At least this character is new to us, 
watching the TV mm-hmm. show. We've never seen this character before. But if you were a wrestling fan in the Florida area in 2014, you might have seen this character. And that's because while they hadn't made it to television yet, NXT had been using them on house shows. Mm-hmm. House shows are live wrestling events that are, to put it in the simplest possible terms, not canon. Okay. So we've talked about dark matches before, which are non-televised matches that occur on otherwise televised shows for the benefit of the live audience and are not acknowledged on camera unless you're AEW. I like the dark matches, but yes. I'm just saying, like, AEW took them and made a show out of them, which is, like, great. That's very innovative on them. But most of the time, a dark match is a match that is only seen by the people in the audience. House shows are basically dark shows. With very Mm -hmm. few exceptions, nothing that occurs on a house show will ever be referenced on television. For narrative purposes, they never happened. They exist for two reasons. First and foremost, to make money. (laughs) Well, how would WWE ever have turned into the bloated corporate vampire it is today if it was only profiting off the labor of its horrifically exploited independent contractor employees two or three times per week? (laughs) Why not make the wrestlers work almost every night so you can charge tickets for more shows? House shows are a pretty easy sell to the audience, too. I mean, you'd want to go watch a wrestle? Cheaper option than a TV taping? You're oh, yeah. more likely to find one in your area, and you're probably going to have a good time. One yeah. unwritten rule of house shows is that baby faces usually win most or all of the matches because the whole point is to send the crowd home happy. There's no storyline being advanced. In the event that a heel is defending a championship at a house show, the babyface might win by disqualification. So you don't have to go on TV the next night and explain why somebody else suddenly has the title. (laughs) Though this has happened, I hasten to point out. No, that would be so cool. We're going to see it uh, down the road. Um, The second reason house shows exist is because they provide the opportunity to test out new gimmicks and characters in front of a live audience before bringing them to TV. Even NXT, which at this point is still pretty strictly a developmental promotion, has used house shows for these kinds of creative trial runs pretty much since its inception. So if you're the kind of person who attends or follows house shows, you can sometimes get a sneak preview of what might soon be happening on the actual televised program. And if you're not, your understanding of how wrestling works is made more complete by the knowledge that anything you see on TV was almost certainly rolled out on the house show circuit before making its way to your screen. Hmm. So that's house shows. Megan Bob will be back on our next episode with a fanfic explaining them. That's so fascinating that that's basically like rehearsals, but charging people money for yep. rehearsals. Yep, that's exactly what it is. Charging people money for rehearsals. All right, Bob, it's time to wrap things up here. We can't leave before we complete the cheap pop quiz. You have six points right now, Bob. Closing in on another uh, romance novel bonus episode. I'm going to get you, Miles. All right, here we go. Let's find out. Question number one. So as you know, we have a new regular character making their way to NXT on the next episode. And this individual is actually still very much a part of WWE today. Mm Okay. Who is it? Is it A, Carmella, B, Elias Sampson. <laughs> C. Apollo Cruz. D. Baron Corbin, non-jobber version. Or E. Mandy Rose. Okay. They desperately need more women, like extremely badly they need mm-hmm. more women. However, in the interest of trying to hedge my bets. Okay. It's gonna be Baron Corbin one of these times. <laughs> Baron Corbin is my E. Baron Corbin is who I am picking. <laughs> I I will stand by this. Now, I've seen Baron Corbin. He ain't worth waiting around for, 
but this is the hill I've chosen and I am dying upon it. All right. So your answer is D, Baron Corbin, non-jobber version, as I predicted. Yep. (laughs) See, what you're going to do is you're just going to announce, well, Baron Corbin's going to be in the next episode. (laughs) Oh, I should. Uh, Question number two. But that's not all when it comes to NXT newcomers. In a video package for the upcoming TakeOver event, we learn for the first time of a new signee who will be debuting at that event. It's a big deal, because this person was a huge name on the independent scene at the time. Which indie promotion were they most associated with? Oh no. Is it A, Ring of Honor, another American promotion that WWE had already harvested for stars like CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Cesaro, Seth Rollins, and Sami Zayn. B, Shimmer Women Athletes, the American all-female promotion that had already hosted wrestlers like Bayley and Becky Lynch. C, Pro Wrestling Noah, a well-known Japanese promotion. D, New Japan Pro Wrestling, an even better-known Japanese promotion. Or E, Chikara. Something in my head says Pro Wrestling Noah. I don't know why. Okay, is that your answer? Yeah, I'm always going to listen to the voices in my head. Sometimes they tell me cool shit. (laughs) You and Randy Orton both. And question number three. Next episode's main event is the Tag Team Tournament Finals, contested between the Villains and Kalisto and Sin Cara. Who wins mm. that match? Is it A, Kalisto and Sin Cara, cleanly? B, the Villains cleanly? C, the Villains by cheating? D, Kalisto and Sin Cara, despite the Villains cheating? Or E, the match goes to a time limit draw, and new general manager William Regal decides that both teams will face the Ascension at TakeOver in a triple threat tag team match. <sighs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> My thinking is that it needs to be a face team because... My long theory is that I think they're going to take the belts off the Ascension because I think the the Yaw train has probably run its course. Okay. Much to my sorrow. So I think that it can't be the Vaudevillains that win because they probably don't want to hand it off to another heel. They probably want to switch it up and have a face team for five minutes before they give it to heels. Okay. Because that's what you've told me about is that you put it on a baby face so you can take it off. Mm-hmm. However... I want it to be a three-way. But there's already a four-way. Are they really going to do that? Are they really going to do that? Okay. Why they can't do a huge pop like them, you know, winning despite the other team cheating, because then they would be, like, blowing this extreme thing that's like, oh, what a victory on the thing before TakeOver. But then maybe that's going to send people to buy because it's the show before the TakeOver. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I am that woman looking at a bunch of calculus and geometry right now i'm gonna say i don't think they're ready to do a three-way tag team thing but okay. although that would be fun it's just gonna be that they win despite the villains cheating because it's the go home show right it is the go home show that's correct okay and so hopefully that's i mean for my points but i want it to be the three-way tag team battle but okay but you're officially saying kalisto and sincara despite the villains cheating Yeah, that's my thought. All right. Well, come back on our next episode to see if Bob picked up any more points in this edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for introducing me to William fucking Regal. Thank you. (laughs) Well, as I mentioned on the episode proper, uh, we are just now officially at the beginning of the big Sami Zayn Lord of the Rings story. Yes. 
So it's a really great time if you enjoy the show to become a patron over at patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan. Thank you so much to everybody who is already over there, already part of the family, already um, giving us a little bit of your hard earned money to keep the show alive and afloat. Um, and producing what I think is pretty good content. Where else are you going to get Lady Whistledown's match report? Literally nowhere. Bleacher Report ain't doing that shit. (laughs) Oh, no. No, I guarantee you they are not. One thing we're doing, though, Bob, for our patrons as a gesture of appreciation is we've been doing the, uh, the Next Wrestling Fan Federation Trios Tournament. Yeah! Taking your characters, putting them all into trios teams, and we've been doing a trios tournament. If you've been listening to the show for the past several weeks, you know about that. And we've actually reached the final first round (gasps) match. I didn't realize this was the final first round match. Yeah, we're almost into round two. And uh, Bob, this first round match pits the team of Rutherford Hunt and Bryony Blood, a.k.a. The Blood Hunt, and their partner, Prometheus Jones. Prometheus Jones, of course, having recently split from uh, his former tag team partner, Carol Staples. It's a formidable team. The Blood Hunt has actually been, like, steadily rising up the tag team ranks. They've really been gelling as a tag team. You know, Rutherford originally had his partnership with Seth Luna, turned on him, uh, but has really found something with Bryony Blood. They have been working extremely well together and are moving up into contention for the tag team championship. They've been paired with this Prometheus Jones guy, though. And they're not quite sure how to handle it. And in the recent weeks, they've been trying to handle it basically by, like, teaching him to be more like them. They're respectively all about smarts and speed, with Hunt being the really smart wrestler and Blood being the really fast, sneaky wrestler. And, you know, Prometheus Jones is, is a big, muscly powerhouse. So they've been yeah, trying to, like... Yeah, he's basically Rocky from Rocky Horror. He's, like, beautiful and strong boy. That's exactly what he is. And so uh, Rutherford Hunt has been trying to, like, get him to read books... Uh, and like teach him things out of textbooks and stuff. Bryony Blood has been trying to teach him like how to be sneaky and stuff. So just keep that in (laughs) mind as we go forward. (laughs) Unfortunately, they have gotten possibly the toughest draw of anyone in the first round of the trios tournament, Bob, because the team on the other side of the ring from them is comprised entirely, entirely of former Next Wrestling Fan Federation champions. Oh, damn. And we're talking, of course, about Star Dragon... Sidril Constellation and the Dark Dragon, Danny Blackson, and their tag team partner, the Lightspeed Luchador, Cosmica. Oof. Oof. It's a rough draw, but let's see if they can do it. They come down to the ring, the heels do, that is. The Blood Hunt has been very formidable lately, but this storyline has been allowing them to indulge in some fun comedy shenanigans. So, like, Prometheus Jones is, like, basically come down to the ring dressed in an ill-fitting ninja costume. Aww. And with, Get him uh, a tight-fitting ninja costume. <laughs> I didn't say it was too big. <laughs> His arms and hands are, like, covered in what appear to be some sort of crib notes. Aww, baby. Now, meanwhile, the team of uh, Star Dragon and Cosmica, very formidable. They work well together, but there's been a little bit of something creeping in recently. Okay. And that's a direct result of our old friend and Sidreal Constellation's old friend, Watership Doom. Oh, no. Because Watership Doom recently gave another prophecy. <gasps> and he has predicted that Sidreal Constellation is going to turn on their friends. Oh, uh, wh- uh, 
I don't appreciate Doom's, like, naysaying. I don't like this bad attitude. He says he saw a vision of Sigil Constellation delivering a Hope Punk Haymaker, which is their big uh, flying uppercut finisher, to their tag team partner, Danny Blackson, and standing over their fallen form. Obviously, nobody really buys it. You know, those two have been feuding for a long time and Watership Doom, especially now that he's like kind of doing this whole trickery business with Morgan Mab. Like nobody really believes that he's actually doing anything but trying to get in Sid's head. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a little bit something in the air, just a little bit of suspicion in the air. Now, it's important to remember Bryony is an assassin. And yes. one of the things about how she operates is that you will never, ever know when she's been tagged in. Her specialty is hidden tags and her partners. One of the first things that they taught Prometheus Jones is that you always make sure that her tag is hidden. So as a result, when she's tagged in, no matter the move that she hits with, the commentary always calls the first tag to her shot from nowhere because she'll (laughs) usually creep off the apron and come around the back of her opponent or suddenly flank her opponent out of nowhere like a velociraptor. Sometimes there's a distraction and she takes them out from the top rope. You don't know what she's going to do, but what did she do in this match, Miles? Well, that first tag happens relatively early. Rutherford Hunt starts the match and um, faces off initially with the Lightspeed Luchador, Cosmica. And, you know, they kind of do some good wrestles for a little while. But then Bryony Blood gets her first tag in, dives down off the apron, actually appears to go under the ring. Mm. And... Cosmica is like looking around going like, what the hell? What's what's going on? Where where does she go? And she springs up behind him through an opening in the bottom of the (gasps) ring that she had previously made prior to the match (laughs) because she is prepared. (laughs) Here's something I made earlier. (laughs) That is actually how she ends up getting the drop on Cosmica. She and Rutherford Hunt kind of take turns tagging in and out working him over a little bit as the face in peril. Um, It's important to note that when one of them is in the ring, the other one is like on the apron schooling Prometheus Jones. So like Mm. while Bryony is in the ring, Rutherford is like on the apron, like showing him some kind of book and like pointing out some like clever turn of phrase or whatever in the text they're reading. Oh no. And when Rutherford's in the ring, Bryony is like having Prometheus try and like creep along the apron, like really sneaky like and trying to like practice that kind of stealth. Oh, my God. Never a wasted moment. I assure you it's hilarious. (laughs) But uh, Cosmica eventually does fight out, gets to the top rope and does a leaping, a giant leaping crossbody onto Rutherford Hunt. But Rutherford Hunt catches Cosmica out of midair like a doggo catching a frisbee, except... (laughs) He does catch with his hands because in this promotion, I don't know about your promotion, but biting is really frowned upon here. And then from the apron, Sidriel pulls out a squeaky toy and (laughs) Rutherford Hunt hears the (laughs) and he's still holding Cosmica and he's both intrigued and also just outraged because how fucking dare Sidriel Constellation provoke him like this and how dare They patronize him? Yeah, seriously. So it's super rude. So he lets go of Cosmica, who rushes between Hunt's legs and makes the tag to Sidriel, who, what happens next, Miles? Well, Sidriel comes in and Hunt is incensed. They go out of the hammer and tongs for a little while. Sidriel does end up getting the better of the dynamic there. And Hunt is forced, finally, 
to make the tag to Prometheus Jones, who Bryony declares is finally ready to be tagged in. <gasps> and Prometheus Jones comes in and, like, is kind of trying to do the same thing that Bryony does. Oh, no. So, like, tries to, you know, kind of sneakily, like, jump down off the apron and then runs to the another side of the ring and rolls in that way. And Sidriel's like, I can see you. Oh, no. But, like, Prometheus looks at, like, his wrist, the words on his wrist, and, like, looks at Sidriel and is, like, taps his forehead knowingly. Like, I got this. Okay. But then Sidriel just, like, kicks his face off. Oh. Makes the tag to Danny Blackson, the Dark Dragon, who comes in and starts working over Jones. Jones actually does manage to pull kind of like a sneaky escape on one of Blackson's moves and goes for the stone cutter. It's obviously a cutter. I can't emphasize this enough. Like, clearly it's a cutter. <laughs> clearly. It's not a bicycle kick like I thought it might have been. That's that's ridiculous. It has cutter in the name, everybody. <laughs> Danny Blackson dodges it, but was not expecting Prometheus Jones to kip up immediately after and just do another one. And so Danny Blackson takes the cutter and then the dark dragon is awoken and answers mm. with this roar that shakes the arena, gathers up Prometheus Jones and rushes into the corner with this resounding thud. And like, yeah, the corner post is metal, but it looks like it's bent a little bit. It's about this time that uh, Hunt and Blood, seeing what they just saw from Danny Blackson, started to maybe a little bit reconsider things a little bit and uh, mm. offering a few parting words of encouragement to their <gasps> partner, Prometheus Jones, start to back away a little bit. <gasps> Sid and Blackson start teaming up on Prometheus Jones because, like, I, you know, look, it's not their fault. And at one point, Blackson has Jones's arms both behind his back. And Jones is still kind of trying to ninja shit. He's still trying to, like, be somebody else and, like, wriggle free instead of using his, like, vast strength to just break the hold. But mm -hmm. because he's just trying to be sneaky about it, Blackson has him. And Sid lines up for the Hope Punk Haymaker. Oh, no. At which point, Jones decides, fuck this, and does <sighs> just break the hold and gets out of the way. And <gasps> Sid nails Danny Blackson with the haymaker. Oh, no! And, like, stands over him, and they're just, like, kind of running their hands through their hair, going, like, oh, God, what did I just accidentally do? And the crowd starts chanting, doom, 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 <gasps> doom, doom. Oh, no! At which point Prometheus Jones gets back in the fray, and legitimately, like, now that he's stopped trying to be someone he's not and just embraced his strong boy status, he starts beating the crap out of all three of the others. Uh, and he nails Sidriel eventually. After taking out Blackson, taking out Cosmica, he nails Sidriel Constellation with a stone cutter off the top rope. Oh, shit. Which is just ridiculous. One, two, and at the last second, Sidriel kicks out. At which point, Blackson and Cosmica return to the ring. Haunt and Blood are gone by this point. <laughs> the numbers advantage returns to the babyfaces, who don't seem to feel, like, totally great about it, but, like, they want to advance in the tournament. Sid's still a little bit shaken. I mean, obviously, both from the prophecy thing and from being laid out. But uh, Cosmica and Blackson end up actually doing their own variation of Flames of a Thousand Suns, which is uh, Star Aww. Dragon's tag team finishing move. And they use that to put away Prometheus Jones. It was a noble effort. I'm glad that you found yourself. Uh, I'm sorry that your heel tag team partners snuck away. Yeah. But uh, 
Regardless, the team of Sigil Constellation, Danny Blackson, and Cosmica are advancing in the last match of the first round of the next Wrestling Fan Trios tournament. Man, Doom is going to be so, like, self-congratulatory about this. Oh, yeah, he's going to be unbearable. All right, thanks to all of our patrons for giving us these characters. Just really appreciate you from Corim to uh, Grass Dragon, Zadkiel Vaskihuff. Daniel Lashley-Smith. Daniel Lashley-Smith, Chuck Rogers, uh, and of course, David. Thank you so much for being part of the show, and uh, we hope that you enjoyed the match. Last thing I want to say before we go, y'all, I have recently made an announcement uh, on social media that I am going to be starting kind of a book club thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want the details of this, you can go to my Twitter account at MJ Schneiderman. It's my pin tweet contains the thread of all the books that I'm going to be reading for the rest of the year. One book per month for the rest of the year. These are books that I have in my home, have been attending to read, have not read yet. Also posted over in the Smash Fiction fan faction, which if you're not a part of, you definitely should be. Um, yeah. And so I'm going to read these books. You can read them with me or not. I posted the complete list for the remainder of the year. Um, the first one that we're doing for the remainder of February is uh, the new novella from Alexandra Rowland, a.k.a. the Sorceress on Garden Plots of Skeletor. Yeah. And uh, the novella is called Some by Virtue Fall. It is very, very good. Dapper Theater Lesbians, as they put it. Miles said that to me and I immediately went and bought it. So it's on my to read yes. list now. It's yes. loading on my device as we speak. So that's going to be a thing that's happening for the rest of the year. Again, on Twitter and in the fan faction, if you want to be a part of the conversation about any of these books in March, we're actually reading uh, a diva was a female version of a wrestler by Scarlett Harris, which is a book about women's wrestling in WWE. So if you have okay. a wrestling interest that's coming up next month, and then uh, all of this might also be feeding into another project that I am getting ready to launch, but We'll talk about that in a <laughs> Miles and I have a problem. We can't stop making stuff. We can't stop making stuff. And if you want to join us on our various journeys, we really appreciate you. Just like we really appreciate you joining us on this journey. Thank yeah. you once again so much. We will see you in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Yeah! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Neil and I sing that song when <laughs> it happens. But the thing is, is that the secret to singing it, Miles, is that you have to go, I hear voices in my head. Because it just trails the fuck off and stops being a goddamn song very rapidly. Uh, and you have to do the trail off. Uh, mm. Oh, you disagree? 
You think there's a real song there? I know all the words. <gasps> Miles. Miles. That I, is... I'm so proud and horrified. I love Wonder. Randy Horton. <laughs> Do you want me to get you one of those body pillows that's Randy Horton? <laughs> Will you please? <laughs> Look, I'll see what I can bribe somebody <laughs> on the internet to do. Our commentary team is Rich Brennan, Alex Riley, Jason Roberts. Nope, what? Nope, not Jason Roberts. That's nobody. We don't know who that is. Yeah, Guys, I don't know who Jason Roberts is. If you know who Jason Roberts is, <laughs> let us know.